isn't it so good that we have a God that sees us and has not forgotten us, no matter where we are or what season we're in. So happy Mother's Day to all the mamas, the grandmothers out there. Special shout out to my mom and grandmother who are both here tonight. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Amanda Hiltz and my amazing husband, Anthony, and I serve together as elders at City Life. We also have four beautiful children, Aiden, Avery, Addison, and Annabelle. And we like to call ourselves the A-Team for obvious reasons, and it helps people to remember our names. Um, and I'm just really excited and honored to be able to share the word with you tonight. You know, I have felt a stirring in my heart for some time to get back to preaching. You, you see, I, I went to Bible college with the intention of becoming a full-time missionary in Latin America. And because my dad was my pastor growing up and my parents were very supportive of me, and I felt this calling since I was a young teenager, I had the opportunity to preach in my youth group and in my church and even in the churches of other pastors that were friends of our family, just the benefit of being a PK, I guess. Um, and so, you know, I've had this stirring, but I also felt it was really important to wait on the Lord's timing. I've also done missions work all throughout Latin America. Most recently this past year, I was able to go with the team from the church to the Dominican Republic. And if any of you get the opportunity to go to La Guasera, you should go and just see what the Lord is doing there and how City Life is partnering with the community there. It's just really awesome. Um, but obviously, you can see that I'm not a full-time missionary in Latin America. And that's because I've gone on a bit of a roller coaster ride in my life, and I will touch on that in a little bit. But that ultimately led to the Lord having different plans for me. And I can say now that I am truly walking in my greatest full-time ministry and calling as a mom to my four beautiful children. I'm going to try not to cry. Stephanie cried tonight, so she started it. That's all I'm saying. Um, so when Stephanie asked me to preach for Mother's Day, I just thought it was so awesome that God took what was stirring in my heart, a dream that felt like had died and passed long ago, and he coupled it together with my actual full-time ministry, my greatest calling, and that gave me the opportunity to be here with you tonight. So I've known for months that I was going to preach tonight because I have two toddlers, a preteen and a teenager, and because of that, I don't have a lot of time to just sit down any day and knock out a sermon. So I've been thinking and praying and seeking the Lord for quite some time, and initially I thought that I was going to talk about worry. Um, partly because I just really felt like it was a message that God had for our church, and partly because it's something that I struggle with at times, particularly in my parenting as a mom. So I was writing stuff down and finding these great scriptures and even awesome quotes, and shortly thereafter, Pastor Justin preached an incredible message on worry, and pretty much everything that I wrote down was in it, and so I was back to square one. And I just thought, isn't it cool that God did that, though, right? He did have that message for our church. It wasn't about me preaching it. It was about God's word and God's voice being heard. And let me say, if any of you in here struggle with worry in any way and you didn't get to hear that message, go back, check out the podcast or the Facebook Live video because it was absolutely an excellent message. So about a week after that, you know, like I said, back to the beginning, and I'm having a rough day with my kids. I am a stay-at-home mom. Um, and this particular day, all four of them were home. And there was whining and fussing and arguing and crying. And guys, you should have seen how bad the kids were acting too because it was a rough morning, okay? So during nap time that day, I snuck into my room for some quiet time with the Lord. Because you know what? Parenting is a tough job, right? All the moms said amen, the dads too, right? 
It's not for the faint of heart. And I will say that I'm super grateful and love being a mom and have amazing moments with my children. But it's just exhausting sometimes. So that day I was wiped out. And I went to my room and I pulled out my Bible. And I've been reading slowly through the Old Testament for some time. And that day I was in Leviticus. And it was about bodily fluids and infectious diseases. And I just thought to myself, this is just not going to cut it today. Now, don't get me wrong. I fully believe that all scripture is God-breathed and Holy Spirit-inspired, okay? But when you feel like you have nothing left inside of you to give and a whole lot of giving that's left to do, knowing how to handle leopards, I, I don't know for you guys, that's just not what, you know, refreshes me or helps me out. So I turned to a scripture that I have read many, many, many times. In fact, it's one I've memorized. It's one that I often recite in difficult moments. And I turned to Psalm 23. And as I read it, I just felt peace come over me. I felt my mind renewed. I felt refreshed, just like I had felt every other time that I'd read it and and recited it. And, you know, because parenting is a full-time job, it's a 24-hour job, you can't just call in because you're tired or you're stressed out or you're overwhelmed. It's, it's like if I were to call in and say, hey, Annie, you're going to have to wipe your, wipe your own bum this morning. I'm just not feeling it. It's not reality. It's like that NyQuil commercial, right? Have you guys seen that one? The dad calls in to the baby that's in the crib and he's like, I'm so sick today. I'm not coming in. It's not reality. So I just felt like God gave me what I needed in that moment to be able to pour back out into my children. And, you know, through God working in me in that hard mom moment, I felt the Lord say to me, this is the scripture that I want you to preach out of. And I'll be honest with you, I was a little hesitant at first because Psalm 23 is probably one of the most well-known scriptures there is. I'd put it right up there with John 3.16 or 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right, or the Lord's Prayer. I would say people that attend church regularly and those that don't are familiar with this scripture. And I thought, do I really want to tackle a scripture that probably has been preached on thousands of thousands of times? And God reminded me that his word is alive and it's active. And every time there's something more that he has for us. And so tonight I feel like God wants to show us how we can have victory, whether we're in the valleys of life over on the mountaintops. And so if you have your Bible, and before I do read this chapter, you can get out your Bibles and turn to Psalm 23 if you have them. I do want to say, while this is, quote, unquote, a Mother's Day message, really the truths that are in here are for all of us. It doesn't matter if you're not a mom, you're not even a woman. This is for women, men, young people, old people. God's truth is powerful, and he has something for each of us tonight. So... If you have your scripture or your Bible, and if not, we have it up here on the screen. Um, and I'm just going to read the whole thing through to start, and then we'll break it down a bit. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it doesn't matter how many times we read it or how many times we've heard a sermon on it, that you have more for us. 
I thank you, Lord, that you are alive today and you just have a message for us tonight about how we can be victorious in this life, no matter the season or the situation we're in. Lord, I pray that you would guide me and give me your Holy Spirit to just guide my words. And I also pray for each of us tonight that we would have hearts and ears to hear what it is that you have for us. We praise your name, Jesus, and I pray all these things in your name. Amen. So the first way that we are going to look at how we can have victory, whether we're in the valleys or the mountaintops of life, is by recognizing our position. So for this point, we're going to look at just verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So this scripture explicitly tells us that the Lord is our shepherd, right? And we're going to talk about the Lord's position in our lives in a minute. But before we do, I want to talk about ours. And while it doesn't directly say what our position is, it's implied, and it's also something, it's an imagery that's used all throughout Scripture, right? So if God is the shepherd, then we are the, that's right, we're the sheep. So we're the ones that are supposed to be led, guided, fed, Notice I'm using all passive verbs here, right? They're not action verbs because when we look at these first three verses, it's really the Lord, the shepherd, that's doing all of the action. He makes, he leads, he restores, and he leads again. But I think sometimes we can fall into the trap of worrying about everything that we have to do and turning our focus inward on everything that we have to do. And it can be overwhelming. I'll tell you I'm a very type A personality. I like lists, I like organization, I like calendars and plans and cleanliness, and this permeates every area of my life, okay? People that are my friends or my family are laughing, so I'm gonna just not look at them, okay? Um, when I was a Spanish high school teacher for nine years, everything in the classroom had its place and a label, okay? In our home, we budget, we use, um, uh, chore charts for our children. We have a family calendar. Um, I plan out the meals every week. This is just how we do life. And I can say that this can be really great attributes, right? But sometimes, because my personality leans so strongly towards that, it also leads me into the trap of worry and control. Because I feel so overwhelmed with what I have to do and so focused on the fact that I have to do this, that, and the other, that I feel like I need to control it all, and I worry about it. Anyone feel me on that? Yeah, okay, so good. It's not just me. And so sometimes I feel like I literally have to do it all, and let's be real, as moms, there's a whole lot that we have to do, right? So first, you have to create and grow this tiny human in your body, a human, you grow it in your body, right? It's mind-boggling when we think about it. And then you need to birth this baby and owe oh, the stories that can be told, right? I won't tell one, I promise. But women, we love to tell these stories because it's an amazing thing. And I'll tell you, I'm in a ladies' life group. Stories have been told, okay, about birthing is shown, but my lips are sealed because we talked about that, right? And then if it weren't enough to grow a human and birth them, we then need to feed them often from our own bodies while we're exhausted and healing and dealing with hormones, right? Where are my moms? 
moms that just had babies this last year. Any of them in the room or are they taking care of their babies? Okay, Stephanie's there. Sally's right back there with her baby. Yeah, it's overwhelming and you ladies are rock stars, okay? There's a lot that has to be done. And I will say the same is true even if you didn't birth your child, you likely had to do a lot to get that child, maybe through adoption or foster care. Maybe you're like me. You gain children through marriage. I have two older stepchildren that I gained through marriage. There's still a lot that needs to be done to just become a parent for those children. Raising funds. Maybe going to another country like Pastor Justin and Stephanie had to do, right? Court cases, forms. I mean, there's just a lot. And all of that is just like the beginning list of becoming a parent, right? Never mind the rest of the 18 years of their life and really the rest of our lives because we're always parents, right? Of everything that comes after that educating, potty training. Is that me doing that? If it is, I apologize. I hope it's not. Do I need to do something differently? (laughs) I don't know. We'll see what they say. So um, disciplining our children and discipling our children, I just want to get on a soapbox just for a minute. It's not the church's responsibility to disciple our children, right? It is our responsibility as parents to disciple our children. Should the church help? Should the church be a tool that's used to disciple our children? Absolutely. And I'm so thankful for the classes that our two youngest are in back there. I'm thankful for RC that our older kids go to. But we as parents need to be discipling our children day in and day out at home. Okay, moving on. That was my little soapbox. So all that to say, there's just a ton that we need to do. But when we start to dwell on everything that we need to do, we sometimes feel like we have to do everything, right? We feel like the weight of parenting is on our shoulders. And really, this feeling can come from any area of your life. It doesn't just have to be parenting. You might feel in your job that you have to do everything, that you're responsible for it all. You might feel that in taking care of um, family members or working in your community, volunteer work. It's a feeling that we can all get sometimes that, man, I just have to do it all. And the grip of worry sneaks in to tightly control everything, and it's a coping mechanism that we have. Now, some people's personalities are different. They might not feel the desire to control. You might be like that. You might say, I get so overwhelmed, I decide to not even start something, right? Or I'm so overwhelmed, I just quit. Still, coping mechanisms when we feel like it's just too much and we feel overwhelmed, stressed out, and tired. I just want to share just one excerpt from this book. It's called Grace Not Perfection by Emily Lay. Read it at the beginning of this year, and she actually talks about experiencing this in her own life. Um, Her father-in-law had just passed away from cancer, and her dog was sick, and her family was just going through a lot. It says, still I worked in captain mode, trying to be the glue that held everyone together. I decided to take hold of our crazy life and fix it. For any problems we had, I was determined to find solutions. We'd been in the middle of exhausting fertility treatments, so we decided to take it up a notch and pursue more aggressive options. I'd been considering a big production change with our simplified planners, so I pursued it. Grief and sadness mounted at home. Fertility treatments weren't working. Briggs was getting sicker. The pain of losing Brian's dad was real and raw. Work was busier than ever. Without extended family nearby, I found myself taking on more and more to help our family get back to normal and be happy again. 
I put all my hope and trust in my own two hands. I think that maybe we've not experienced something as serious as what she experienced, or maybe we have. But I would dare to say that to some degree we've all experienced this, this desire to control things. And I would dare to say it's because we've forgotten our position. We're the sheep, right? We're not the shepherd. But we try to be the shepherd because just like she said, she felt like she could help her family by taking everything into her own two hands. You know, I'll admit that I want to try and control everything because at times I feel like if I do, I can avoid the things that I'm afraid of. And it can be challenging to let go of the reins and to take our rightful position as the sheep and allow the the Lord, who is the shepherd, to guide us. But even when we fight against it, it's still the reality, right? We're still the sheep. God's still the shepherd. And because he's a good shepherd, he makes it a lot easier for us to take our rightful place. Amen? So let's look at God as the shepherd. So did any of you guys grow up in church like me, where in your Sunday school class, your lessons were taught with felt boards and the little characters they put up there? Okay. So whenever I read anything or hear anything about a shepherd in the Bible, I cannot get that image of that scrawny shepherd boy that was on my Sunday school felt board out of my head. You all know him, the ones that, that experienced this, right? He was young, he was skinny, he was scrawny. You know, if I'm being led by someone, that's not what I want them to look like. Particularly if I'm being led through the valley of the shadow of death, I would prefer my guy to look a little bit more like Thor than Harry Potter. You with me on that? Okay. So, <laughs> uh-oh, we got Alice started. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> she better not get me started because then I won't be able to stop laughing either. Okay, it's interesting, though, that David, who wrote this psalm, he was a shepherd, but he also was a warrior and a king. Yet he chose to reflect back on his life as a shepherd to paint a picture of the way that God cares for us. You see, the shepherd paints a picture of a more intimate and close caring relationship. While the king looks out for the majority, the shepherd cares deeply for the sheep as a whole, but also for each of them individually. We can see this in Luke 15 right? It's the parable of the shepherd leaving the 99 to go look for the one. He still cared about the 99, but that one, and if it were any other one, that one too, was so important. And that's what the Lord is like for us. And the reality is that that felt board image that's in my head of the shepherd is not completely accurate either, because the truth is that shepherds had to be brave and strong because they needed to protect their animals from wild animals. Um, When we look at what David says, right before he goes to fight Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 35, he says to King Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. 
So when we start to truly understand the attributes of the Lord as the shepherd, we begin to understand his strength, right? His love, his compassion for us. And it makes it that much easier to be able to surrender that control that we so want to hold on to. And we're able to follow his lead. You know, when we're fighting to be the shepherd of our lives or our children's lives, because the truth is, we're called to be mama sheeps. To sheeps? Sheep, right? He'll, he'll make fun of me later for that, right? Okay. We're called to be mama sheep to our children and point them to the good shepherd, right? But when we fight against God as a shepherd and we desire that position for us or for them, we're fighting against all the amazing things that the Lord has for us. So verse 1 said, I shall not want. Why? Because the good shepherd provides for us. He takes care of our needs. We don't have to, like Emily Lay said, put everything in our own two hands. We don't have to be responsible for it all. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. He gives us peace. Like that day months ago, or honestly, quite a few times in the last 11 days when my husband was gone, when things were crazy at home and the kids were acting all sorts of crazy, God is able to give me peace in that moment. I can't give myself peace. I can't count to three and I'm magically happy mom that's so calm and gentle. No, God, the shepherd, he gives me the peace, right? He restores my soul. You know, restore, it means to repair, renovate, or return to a former condition. Our soul is the deepest part of us. It's our innermost being. God created our soul. He's the only one that can restore it. We can't restore our own souls. And I'll tell you what, people in the world, they look for a lot of things to restore their souls. And they're just not going to find it because only the good shepherd can do that for us, right? And finally, he leads us on paths of righteousness. Not paths of confusion. Not paths of chaos. Why? Because he's good and he loves us and he does it for his glory and he does it for our good, as it says in Romans 8.28. And you know, there's plenty of other scriptures that point to this too. One of them is Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. My four and two-year-old, they can tell you this memory verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. Those paths of righteousness, not destruction and chaos. Straight paths. Good plans, right? So if you're feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, or ill-equipped for the task at hand, whether that's parenting your children, doing your job, maybe it's stewarding your body well, managing your finances, that's when we need to stop and ask ourselves, are we trying to be the shepherd of our own lives or are we allowing God to lead us? You know what? There's so much peace, restoration, provision, that happens when we take our rightful position as the sheep and allow God to really be the shepherd of our lives. And as moms, we can experience real victory in this. You know, when our children take 8 million years to get out of the car, which they do, right? If you have a toddler, you know they do. We don't have to yell at them and respond in frustration. When we're seeking the Lord and we're seeking the shepherd and he's giving us the peace and the restoration that we need, it gives us the ability to walk in victory in this and respond in gentleness and patience. Amen? And you know what? Not only will we experience victory in this, our children will experience it as an overflow. Our spouses will experience it as an overflow. Coworkers, really, anyone that's around us. 
Isn't there such freedom in knowing that everything doesn't depend on us? Amen. So another way that we can have victory, whether we're in the mountains or the valleys, is by adjusting our perspective. We're going to look at verse 4 for this. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isn't this just typical of life? One moment we're in the green pastures and we're beside the still waters, and then bam, we're in the valley of the shadow of death, right? You know, I've heard it said many, many times that we're either walking in a storm, we're in a storm, or we're coming out of a storm, right? I'm sure you guys have heard that before. Well, tonight we're going to say we're either in the valley, we're walking into a valley, or we're walking out of the valley, right? And let's be real. Most of us would love to live our life on the mountaintop, right? I mean, who doesn't love the mountaintop experiences of life? Falling in love, getting married, having a baby, buying a dream house, going on a dream vacation, um, getting a job promotion. You, like, said my whole list earlier. I was like, that's right. Come on, Steph. Those are the mountaintop experiences of life. And really, we get to experience so many beautiful moments in this life. But in order to get from one mountaintop to another mountaintop, you have to go through the valley, right? And now there's different types of valleys that we go through. Some can just be boring, right? You might feel like you're stuck in the monotony of life. I know that when you're a stay-at-home mom with little kids, it's easy to feel like you're stuck in that monotony, right? Some um, valleys, not mountaintops, valleys are hard. Potty training toddlers, sleep training babies, parenting teenagers, right? I know this because I've done all three at the same time, and, and those valleys are hard. But then some valleys are the valley of the shadow of death. And those valleys can be life-altering, and they can be shattering for you. It can be a medical diagnosis, a serious one for you, for a family member, right? It can be financial hardship, crisis in your marriage, divorce, death. Those are truly the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes people try to avoid the valley altogether, and understandably so, right? It's not enjoyable. I know from experience, I was previously married, and when my marriage was in crisis, I tried to control it and make it better. Remember my first point about controlling things out of fear? Yeah, that's me, okay? And so I did everything that I possibly could. Went to counseling, to pastors, counselors, read every book possible, did every re uh, restoration ministry that is in the 757. I did everything that I could do because I wanted to avoid the valley of the shadow of death, right? Honestly, we were in crisis mode for years. And as time went on, it just became evident that there were broken areas in my first husband's life that he was either unwilling or unable to submit them to the Lord. And the valley that we were walking through got darker as we went through a divorce. And, you know, that's when I found myself camped out in the valley. My life and my thoughts were consumed with my divorce. My identity as a divorced woman, something that I never in a million years thought that I would ever be, right? And did everything that I could to avoid. But I was, I was consumed with that giving up my dream, or so I thought, right, to become a mom. 
And everything that went along with that, I was consumed by it. I was overwhelmed by it. Sometimes, um, I'm sorry, we get so caught up with what it is that we're walking through that the difficulty of the, the experience that we have, it can just take over, right? And we get so focused on these problems and these valleys that our present truth blinds us from our constant truth, right? And we figuratively pitch our tent in the valley. Why? Because we can't see beyond it. That's all we can see. And so we, we build our home in the valley. And let me just be really clear here. This scripture doesn't say that I lived in the valley of the shadow of death. It says that we walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And that's hard sometimes, like I said. Um, but when we do that, when we figuratively pitch our tents in that valley and we camp out there, it really robs us of the joy that the Lord wants to give us, right? All of the blessings that he wants to give us. And please hear me. I am not making light of these valley of the shadow of death experiences because they're truly awful. And however they present themselves in your life, it's an awful experience. And I will testify to that in my own life. And it's important to experience the feelings that come because of these experiences, whether that's sadness or anger or grief. Right? You need to experience that, but we can't live in the valley of the shadow of death. It's just not healthy. So dealing with lots of infidelity in my first marriage and walking through my divorce, it was the worst thing I've ever experienced. I wouldn't want anyone to walk through something like that. But sometimes I was so blinded by my circumstances I was unable to remember the goodness and faithfulness of the Lord when I was camped out in that valley. But praise God, he had people in my life that were there to remind me, right? My family, my friends, this church, so many of you that are in this room were there to remind me of the goodness of the Lord in my life and of his faithfulness of what I was walking through. When we mentally camp out in the valley of the shadow of death, we forget what the rest of the verse says. It doesn't just say, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and end there, right? It says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The God of the universe is with us in the valley of the shadow of death, and we don't have to fear anything because of that. It also says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Not only does he just protect us so we don't have to fear, he comforts us. While we're there, let me tell you that God walked with me and guided me through the valley of the shadow of death. He truly brought me to a place where I was able to say, I'm not afraid anymore. You know, I was still in the valley, guys. It didn't, my circumstances didn't change. I was still walking through a divorce. I was still having to pay all the same bills with half the income. I still didn't see the prospects of becoming a mom at any time in the future, if ever at all. But because the Lord of the universe, the good shepherd was with me as I spent time in his presence, I was confident that I was being led by him out of the valley and that he wasn't building my home there. You know, and I could tell you of the many, many ways that he comforted me there. You know, people 
provided for me financially at times. People encouraged me. People prayed for me. People just texted me to let me know they were thinking about me. God used so many people, even in this church, to encourage me through that time. And, and there was times when I was alone with the Lord, and that sustained me through the darkest and hardest moments. I don't know that I could have understood what it is to not fear in the darkest valley of the shadow of death if I hadn't walked through it with the Lord, right? He showed me in that experience what it is to be comforted, what it is to not fear, even in the midst of awful experiences. You know, while I was studying for tonight, I came across a sermon by Lloyd Stilley, and it's called Confidence in Times of Crisis. In it, he said, David changes from comments about God, in the third person he, right, to communion with God in the second person you, because during his valley time, he stayed ever so close to the shepherd, never taking his eyes off of him. He had experienced God in a way there that had ushered him toward intimacy with the almighty shepherd. For me, the valley of the shadow of death did not end with a saved marriage, but it did end with victory on the mountaintop in my life. I can say I, at the end of that valley, was healthier emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically than I had ever been in my life. You know, because when the, the certainties of life had been stripped away, all I had to cling to was the shepherd, right? And through it all, I came to know my shepherd better than I ever, ever had before. I knew him to be good. I knew him to be a faithful father who in the valley of the shadow of death, he protected me, he provided for me, he gave me peace, and he kept his promises. And so tonight, for my last point, we're going to look at God's promises for us. We're going to start with verse 5. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The first thing I want to know is that God doesn't promise that life's going to be easy, right? We already talked about the valley of the shadow of death, and now we're promised that we'll have enemies. It, I mean, I think that we've all experienced that in this life, right? Yeah, so sometimes I think people get caught up, though, in this idea, well, if I follow the Lord, life's going to be so much easier. Well, that's just not the case. Um, one of my, well, I'll get to that in a minute, actually. Um, we all have enemies, right? The biggest enemy that we have in common is, thank you, it's Satan. I'm glad you guys knew that. That's an important one. <laughs> First Peter 5.8 says that he prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to destroy. But honestly, there's plenty of other enemies that we all have, Right? The world can act as an enemy towards us at times. Moms, at times your children can feel like an enemy coming up against you. Other people in your lives, your job can feel like an enemy at times. A disease can feel like an enemy. Uh, we all have enemies that we come up against. And I'll be honest with you, the last thing that I think about when coming up against an enemy is eating. Um, I know for me that when I'm facing a really stressful situation, I get sick to my stomach and I lose my appetite. So I think it's really interesting that David talks about a table prepared before us in the presence of our enemies. I mean, picture young warriors on the front line of battle, and some of you might have even been in this position before. But 
I don't picture them sitting down and having a, a large feast, right? In fact, I imagine that rather they're likely not eating much of anything or scarfing something down because the battle is raging and things are stressful and there's a lot going on. So I just thought it was really interesting. Why would he say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies? You know, as I started to um, think more about this, I was thinking about feasts or banquets. And, well, at times I've thought before that this was actually a promise of provision. I think that it likely is. But beyond that, I actually think that this is a promise of peace. You know, think about a feast or a banquet either one that you've been to before, maybe one you've seen in a movie. People are enjoying themselves, right? Things are not rushed and hurried. There's calm, there's enjoyment, there might be laughter, but there's peace. And it's just the exact opposite of what I would imagine. But here, he makes it very clear that the enemy's at the door, but there's peace. You know, God doesn't promise to get rid of our enemies. I wish he would, but he doesn't. And one of my most favorite scriptures of all time is John 16, And in it, he says, in this world, you will face trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Right? The truth is we live in a broken and sinful world. And because of that, there are enemies. But God gives us peace even when facing our enemies. Just as David had peace when facing Goliath, And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had peace facing the fiery furnace, right? Daniel had peace when facing the lion's den, and Joseph had peace when he was facing the accusations of Potiphar's wife. We're promised peace when facing our enemies. And not only are we promised peace, but the second part of the verse goes on to say, you anoint my head with oil. Now, in our culture, that doesn't mean much to us, right? But in those times, it was customary for, um, at a banquet, the guest of honor to have their head anointed with oil in order to comfort them after a long, dusty journey. And we can see this in Matthew 26, 6, where the woman pours the perfumed oil on Jesus' head. She was acting in accordance to the customs of those times. It was just something the host neglected to do. So in that, we can see that even when we're facing our enemies or we're in the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord promises us peace and comfort. He promises it, guys. And he says our cup overflows. He'll give us more than what we need to face whatever it is we're facing. These are his promises. So if you're in the trenches of parenting, maybe you have young children that just demand much of you. You know what? Maybe you have teenagers that are challenging and pushing the limits. Or you might be a parent that has grown children that are choosing paths for their life that are hard to watch, right? I promise you, parents, God will give you peace and comfort in this valley. Maybe you desperately want children as I did or as Steph shared tonight, and you're still in the waiting. I promise you that God will give you peace and comfort in this valley. Or maybe you have a serious health diagnosis. God will give you peace and comfort in this valley. Or if you're facing crisis in your marriage or in your finances, God will give you peace and comfort in this valley. And why does he do that? Because he promises it. And he is faithful and he's true to his word. 
which brings us to the last verse of the chapter, verse 6. It says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is faithful. The word follow here means to chase or to pursue. And isn't it just beautiful that God chases us today and all the days of our life with love, with his goodness. And really, when the days of our life on this earth have come to an end, he has so much more for us that's greater than anything that we could possibly dream or imagine. You know, in 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us eternal weight of glory beyond all comparisons. Now, when he says this light momentary affliction, I don't think that Paul is saying that our present suffering is small. Because if you read in the Bible about Paul, he experienced every single kind of suffering that one could possibly experience. It's that eternal glory is so huge, right? If we were to put our sufferings, our valleys, our enemy confrontations on one side of a weighted scale, it would be heavy. It would be weighty. But if we were to take eternal glory, everlasting joy, endless beauty and unbroken relationships and stick it on the other side of the scale, it far outweighs it all. God promises us eternal glory to give us hope and peace to cling to in the worst of circumstances so that whatever we're facing in this life, whether it's a valley top or not a valley top, a valley or a mountaintop moment, God promises us that he gives us that hope and peace to hold on to. I want to ask the band to come up as we close out the night. You know, we've talked about walking in victory in the hills and in the valleys of life by having the right position as the sheep and not the shepherd, right? Having the right perspective, not camping out in that valley and holding on to God's promises. But in order to experience any of this, you first need to be in a saving relationship with Christ. So tonight you might say, you know, all that sounds really amazing, especially all those promises. But in fact, I feel like I'm walking through my valleys and facing my enemies all alone. I'm here tonight to tell you that the Lord has all this promise for you. He desires for you to know him as the good shepherd. He desires to give you all these things. And he already loves you before you ever even knew him. All it takes is a simple vow of devotion to the Lord here tonight. Or maybe tonight you say, you know what? I do know the Lord is my shepherd, but I've been trying to be the shepherd instead of the sheep in certain areas of my life. You might be able to think of those moments right now. And you know, God is gracious and he's merciful and he's patient and he's just waiting for you to offer those areas back up to him and to take your rightful place as the sheep. And he wants to lavish you and pour out his promises and his love on your life in doing that. Or lastly tonight, you realize that instead of walking through the valley of shadow of death, you've camped out there. And I get it. I already shared, I've been there. You've pitched your tent. You're so focused on your difficult circumstances that you've forgotten the promises of God. I can't pretend that I know all of your stories, nor can I pretend that I know how your valley journeys are going to turn out. But I can invite you tonight to shift your focus on the Good Shepherd, and he can give you peace 
and he can take away your fears and he will lead you along the way and give you rest and comfort and hope of such greater things because he's a good shepherd. And like I said earlier, the good shepherd, he cares about everyone, but he cares about each of you individually. He cares about me individually. And my life is a testimony of that. So if you find yourself in any of these areas tonight, the altars are open. There's people up here to pray with you. My husband, Anthony and I, or Stephanie, we would love to pray with you. If you say, I find myself in one of these areas. We're gonna enter back into worship tonight. There's victory for each of us. No matter what we're in, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we face tomorrow, he promises it to us. In your presence, I will dwell in the shelter. Train. 
that you are a good shepherd. I thank you that you are trustworthy. I thank you that you follow us with your love and mercy all the days of our life. And no matter what we walk through in this life, no matter what valley we see or what mountaintop experience we have, you are a good shepherd and you guide us and you lead us and you give us victory along the way, Father. We love you so much, Lord, and we say tonight that we trust you that we trust you, that you're worthy of our hope and you're worthy of our trust. And we trust you, God. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. I hope that you're spoiled and loved on tomorrow. Thank you so much for being with us tonight and we'll see you next week. Don't feel